excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, former Vice President of Interactive Projects at Walt Disney Imagineering, Joe Garlington, to the show. Welcome, Joe. Hi, nice to, nice to be here. It's nice to talk to somebody who I've I've always admired your projects. It was really interesting because we were introduced, I believe, through uh, Larry, who was on the show, to talk about Spaceship Earth. And I'm so glad because Larry and I were talking about how much we love the aspect of the Disney parks being interactive. So to speak to somebody who has all these amazing credits, which we'll go through, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what always drew me into certain attractions. I like that we had that connection, that personal connection to a specific attraction that made it a lot more fun and enjoyable and entertaining in the long run. So I had a lot of fun making all that stuff and, and uh, love to talk about it. Um, well, you started back in 1990. So can you give me like a description of what the Disney company was like during that time when you first entered to work with them? Like what were the projects that they were currently working on, working on at the time? Well, I actually started at Disney um, before that. I've had three tours of duty with Disney. The Only the last one is captured in my official stuff, which starts at 90. But I actually came into Disney originally. I'm not even quite sure of the year, but it was either 79 or 80 uh, uh, as an in-house consultant and worked on uh, opening day Epcot projects. Um, I designed the load-unload area for Spaceship Earth and then worked on something called Tron Arcade, which was to be a game arcade of the future to go in Communicore. That never got, we never got more than a poster up. <laughs> uh, it collapsed in the Storming the Magic Kingdom years. Um, and so we didn't open to that, but it did uh, get me known in the company as a guy who did interactive stuff. Um, I uh, later left, came, had my own company for a while and came back in 90. And when I came back in 90, uh, the interactive, you know, skill set was pretty well established. And that's when I began to work. Um, and in those days, well, I don't know how the company was different than it is now. Very recently, since I retired in 2014, um, very recently it's changed a bunch. Bob Chapek's come in. I only knew him from some work I did for him at Consumer Products, so I can't really speak to the company now. But at the time, it was under Marty Sklar. John Hinch was still there, and the two of them kind of co-led the company from a creative standpoint. That's who we worked for. Um None of them understood interactivity much, but they were smart guys. And when we had put together a play test and they'd see kids laughing, they knew that was a good thing. And so they kind of gave me permission to do experiments, work on stuff, um, bring in play testers, which had never been done before, and uh, explore that kind of whole new evolving world of entertainment. Uh, the first one that I think I opened that I was personally responsible for was post-show at Space Birth the first time we did that when we converted the post-show area, which had been um, uh, uh, kind of an open call center area. Uh, we closed it and, and built a bunch of interactive attractions sponsored by AT&T at the time. Uh, and, uh, That's and that amazing been... because the re when you brought that up, that took me back. This was the 94 update, right? With the Jeremy Irons version. Yeah, that would be it then. Yeah. And Larry Gertz, who you met, uh, he did the main show and I did the post show. 
Okay, so this is why I, I really have to ask you, because we had Armelia McQueen on the show, who was the Red Queen from Adventures in Wonderland, because there's a segment <laughs> of the post-show, which my family adored, and this is like one of the main interactive things we remember, was interactive Wonderland. So when can you can you describe like when you made this project like where did you guys film it and did you film it our in Orlando because she didn't even know <laughs> when it was done and we didn't know you know the time frame of when the show ended and and how it worked to include it in the interactive post show sure the in okay well in terms of year i'm not going to be very helpful with that um if you said it opened in 94 i completely trust you that's about the right time frame um, the, it was not shot in Florida. It was shot here. It was shot, uh, in a studio up in, um, up in the Rye Canyon area, Canyon country. I don't remember the exact name of the studio. The look, I, I just remember generally the location. Um, we had, again, because the post show was sponsored by AT&T at the time, we had, uh, gone to AT&T to Bell Labs, which in those days was a big deal. It was, functionally the you know american national research laboratory um and we had toured them and gotten to know all about all sorts of things they were doing and they wanted us to do a bunch of stuff about telephony because they were the telephone company and so uh that 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 alice in wonder live action uh alice in wonderland was on uh, Disney Channel, I guess, at the time, we got interested in doing something with that property. Um, I don't remember exactly how the idea came into being, but I do remember we worked heavily with um, some uh, the leading uh, Bell Labs engineers at the time to um, develop an acoustical system, a voice capture system, all that was using very leading edge technology at the time to make that work. And like say the the actors um, were were mostly people coming out of the show. The show had just finished, um, and because uh, I remember we had I, remember, I forget the name of the fellow who played the white rabbit, but it was a horrible costume, incredibly hot. They pumped coolant through it to try to keep it habitable, and even so, it was just misery for the poor guy. And I, I remember he, we had to do a lot of talk to get him to enter that costume again and do our show for us. But he did. He was great in the end. That's Patrick Richwood, who is a friend of the yes. show, too. So he and yeah. Armelia were both on the show. And he's like, I don't even remember if we did that because the only film footage I could find was actually in my family's home videotapes of Interactive Wonderland, which is weird. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes so our listeners can check it out. <laughs> That sounds great. Yeah, sadly, I don't have any of that stuff anymore. I'll send it to you. I was like, my favorite part was when we had the Tweedles asking us what uh, Disney princess movies were the Red Queen's favorites. And I, you, you'll hear me just screaming at the TV like this little four-year-old, just so excited, Little Mermaid, Snow White. You know, I just had a ball with it. But the thing was, Armelia and I both recognized, because I sent the video to her and she's like, well, the Tweedles in that video weren't from the 
TV show. And I said, yeah, it's not Robert and Harry who were in the original show. So I, I'm assuming that everybody was going their separate ways and had moved. Some people came back because the Alice wasn't the same. Um, the voice of the uh, Cheshire Cat was not the same. That was, I think, Jim Cummings who replaced um, Richard, who was the original voice. So it was like a mix Jim match, but my dad loved Armelia so much as the Red Queen. He was like, I love her. You can bring her back anytime. <laughs> Because he thought she was funny, and I did too. <laughs> well, we had fun doing it. We shot it, 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 sadly, we shot it out in Canyon Country. It was summer. It was hot as blazes in an unair-conditioned uh, soundstage because uh, everything we did in those days was low, low budget. And uh, um, so it, it was it was not the most kind of environments for those poor actors uh, out on that stage, and especially... Like I say, the the white rabbit that was just yes you know, really tough. Poor tough Patrick. Acting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he and I kept up for a little while. He, credit to him, um, but I, you know, I hired actors so irregularly that I, I wasn't able to ever use them again for anything. I was kind of heartbroken about that, but that's kind of the way industry works. And an another sad thing for us was we went to Disney Quest within the last couple of months before it closed. And yeah, the last sad. time we had been, bef yeah, a la last time we had been there was maybe 10, 15 years prior. What was that like to create something really original and use um, other Disney characters that had already been, you know, um, you know, in the in the Disney universe and also incorporating theme park attractions, you know, like Alien Encounter and Pirates of the Caribbean and Jungle Cruise. Like this is a Disney fan's dream. Oh, it was fabulous. Um, you know. If you were to chart a career uh, in entertainment, it, it tends to look like a, uh, a badly put up circus tent. You know, there are tall poles and short poles and valleys between and stuff like that. And um, But in my own personal career, one of the tallest poles is Disney Quest. I think Disney Quest and Turtle Talk probably just way the heck up there. And uh, part of that was the product, but a lot of it was also the teams that they, these happened to be places where we got together a bunch of people that we all really liked working with each other and stuff like that. Disney quest was a ton of fun, uh, a ton of hard work, but as a creative, you're wanting to do something where you feel like you're breaking new ground. Um, you know, I, I say it's more fun to, you know, slay dragons and step on cockroaches. And this felt like we were out slaying dragons, right? We were trying to invent a new world and figure it out. Uh, and we were working with leading edge technology and leader, leading edge thinkers in the world. We were trying to figure out where the audience was going and how to get just far enough ahead of them that we could lead him to an interesting place without losing him. And so it was just a ton of fun working on that. And yeah, Pirates, Pirates, which opened the second year, um, uh, was probably the best thing we did in there, partly because we had uh, the earlier years learning. So we, we were able to take at least a little bit of advantage of what we learned, uh, you know, opening day. My other question for you is that Bill Nye was involved with the roller coaster attraction. Um, I can't remember the name off my t off the yes, top of I my just, head, but yeah. was that was that a collaboration that was made during the time of his TV show or around the time of the Ellen Energy Adventure attraction? 
Well, I had worked on Ellen's Energy Adventures. What? Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, it, as a matter of fact, that's what I was working on when Disney Quest came up. And I, uh, I handed that rehab off to somebody else and did not finish that. But the, Bill Nye came in. He was, it was after his show. Uh, he was between things. Uh, and so he came in. Uh, <laughs> we we kind of pushed him on the science with that. I think there's a line in the, um, uh, what is the line where he says something about, I, I forget. We propose a high uh, fly faster than speed light. And he says, uh, and he makes some remark to kind of let himself as a scientist off the hook for being involved in something that was clearly not science. But, um, yeah, he was fun to work with. And the, the two most popular attractions in the facility were Pirates and Cyberspace Mountain. And both of those were, you know, a ton of fun to work with. Another thing that our family loves is the the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor and Turtle Talk with Crush. And, and when I was researching a little bit more behind this, you said one of the first things you did before these two was a Stitch interactive conversation with him at Interventions in Disneyland. So that was like the basis of testing it out and seeing how it would work. Yeah, it was started out. I was not involved directly with that. That started out as an R&D project. Uh, that, and I have to be a little careful non-disclosures since that stuff was never, since the work in R and D was never put out, I can't talk about that, but, um, uh, but they were doing a bunch of research, uh, and they built a mock-up, which they took to interventions here in California, up in the second story of the old Carousel of Progress building. And, um, they put that up. And it was like you were having a long-distance phone call with Stitch. Stitch was in Hawaii, and you were here. And it was a, vi a big video phone. Uh, the projection screen was, I think, about five feet tall and three feet wide. And uh, it was such a. It was supposed to go in for two weeks, and it was such a huge hit. I think it lasted four years. Ops wouldn't let. Uh, R&D take it home and, uh, and it became hugely difficult for the research folks to maintain they wanted to support the parks and the operations people and yet it was very expensive I mean you had one performer essentially having to entertain you know one family and that's a, a very inefficient from parks sort of standpoint way to to entertain people and so the uh, question was asked could this basic format be used to um entertain a larger audience and so i was because i led so much interactive stuff then i was asked to, to help out with that and eventually took the whole thing on and that led to turtle talk and originally we developed that for 120 seat theater in c's pavilion little round room there it became too popular. Um, it would clot the lobby. And so that it convinced uh, management that they need to just redo C's Pavilion. So that's when they put in the new ride, gave us a new theater for the Turtle Talk show and, and led to that. And then we, of course, we, we run Turtle Talk then to California, put it in this weird bus to advertise um, as a marketing thing for the um, 
when they redid uh, the submarine out here to Finding Nemo theme. And then that bus went to Hong Kong briefly. And then that software led us to, then they wanted to put Turtle Talk in Hong Kong in a permanent way, but the only space they had was a a space that had originally been designed to be an arcade space underneath Space Mountain. And I went to management and pointed out that Turtles in Space didn't make much sense. Could we do a different character like Stitch, who was a space alien? And they said, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So then we did Stitch and uh, and, uh, Encounter, uh, not to be confused with Stitch Escape in Florida. which we put in Hong Kong initially and then uh, copied into Paris. Uh, and then um, and then after that, uh, we did, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to get the order right, but we did Turtle Talk in Japan. And then we did uh, Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. That's all based on the same underlying technology and the same basic tool, uh, technical tools and techniques. And then, of course, Stitch has most recently been uh, put into Shanghai and to Tokyo. So it continues to live. We also put a version of Turtle Talk as dinner theater into the two ships, into the fantasy and the dream. Has there been, if, if you could choose any Disney film and Disney character to do that specific type of attraction um, with the new theming and in a new location, anyone, who would you choose? Oh, my. There's a tough question. <laughs> oh, and nobody's asked me that one before. Um, boy, I don't know because there are so many worlds that are fun to go into. The the what we liked about Turtle Talk was that we were puppeting a character that had a completely non-humanoid form factor, and so we could have him do barrel rolls and spins and stuff that you couldn't get an actor in costume to do. Monsters Inc. Laffler could be done as a live stage show with, with people in costume, right? Because those are all more human form factor characters. I think I'd probably, I I guess I I would give you two answers. I would go maybe to an interview with Jack Sparrow. I like that. Yes. (laughs) Right. Where you take, he's my favorite. (laughs) Because I think the, with computer graphics are so good now that you could do a, and I would do it in 3d. And I think you could, you could do a, a quote-unquote live, though it would really be puppeted, Jack Sparrow character and have it look like there was a live guy sitting on stage. That would be direction one, and direction two would be go even farther down the, down the, you know, cartoon character list. And I would, I don't know, just because I loved it so much, I might go with one of the Dia de Muertos characters. Um, Not quite sure which one I'd pick, but that world is such a lovely world. And to let guests sort of somehow or other move into that and talk with the characters from that. I always love Emperor's New Groove. So I keep like saying if they're going to do like a, um, a type of a Machu Picchu or Peru thing in Epcot, I would love to have like llamas, <laughs> like a llama type of show. That would be so funny. <laughs> it, it would be, you know, we technically tied one of the Disney quest attractions to that show. Which one? Do you remember the, um, uh, treasure, the Incas, uh, maze on the floor, the the jeeps that you drove through the maze under the floor. No, I don't. I don't remember this one. No, maybe I'm just so, forgetting it. 
when when Disney Quest was open, uh, originally opened out in in this floor space in front of the rafts, in front of the Jungle Cruise attraction, there was a large. Um, it looked like there were bridges over a glass floor, and under the glass floor was a large maze, and you would drive model jeeps. They were about a foot long, uh, four inches, five inches wide, um, and you would drive them around from stations that were around the perimeter. So the stations where you drove them looked kind of like arcade games, uh, but they, but you had a steering wheel and gas pedal. And then a video screen, but the video screen was tied to a camera that was on the physical Jeeps that drove around inside that maze. And we had been asked to do, Emperor's New Group was being worked on at the time. And we had been asked to do something that tied to Emperor's New Group. But in those days, the relationship between WDI and the studio was not what it is now, where there's a lot more sharing of information early. In those days, the they didn't want us to see what they were doing. So we were told it was going to be about Incas and about treasure and about that kind of stuff. So we developed this game where you, it was originally the working name of it was telepresent car. Um, Cause that's technically what it is, but uh, it, it used the kind of um, the cars uh, drove over a floor, like an old fashioned, um, bumper car floor where they picked up power from the floor uh, and they drove around and they had headlights and then you'd drive them around the maze trying to find the doorways into a treasure chamber. Then if you got into the treasure chamber, you collected jewels or gold or whatever score. Um, and the game was divided so that there was a lot of yelling because the people driving it, the car could see the car point of view and so they had about half of the information. The people, their family out running around over the bridges over the glass floor had the other half of the information. Each booth had a number and each car had a number on its roof. And so they would be yelling, you know, turn left, turn left. And, of course, left and right were, were you know, dependent upon how you were looking at it. So no, the other left, that sort of stuff. It was a lot of fun. In the end, nobody got the connection because we didn't know enough. Of, by the time we got it built, we couldn't change it The movie had changed a bunch from the early visions uh, and the vague descriptions we had been given. And so in the end, even though it was technically tied, it was actually not tied at all. So, But I think one of the last attractions you worked on was Toy Story Mania, correct? Or was it something yeah. else? Uh, well, I worked, well, the last stuff I worked on was actually the Playmation toys for consumer products. Um, and, the last theme park attraction I worked on was the rehab of um, Test Track. But yes, uh, uh, Toy Story Mania, Mania uh, my teams did the, all the interactive component for that, the, the guns, the scoring, the score screens, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we did all that. You soon said you were tired after that. So what was that experience like with the send-off and, and uh, finishing up the final attractions? Well, Test Track was great. Um, I, by that point, I was executive producing, and so Sue Bryan and uh, was the was the producer, and Steph Pickens, the associate producer. They, you know, we opened the two attractions, uh, West Coast and East Coast, within a week of each other. So that was a little nuts making um, uh, because you couldn't take learnings from one 
into the next one. Um, and the way interactive stuff is generally designed, you build a toolkit, you go to the field, you install it all, and then you adjust it in front of real guests because no amount of, even though we play test a ton uh, before we build it, guest heads are in a different place when they're in a research lab than when they're in the park. And so you have to do a lot of final adjustment and um, opening two things at once made we meant that wherever we had a mistake, we Xeroxed it, right? And so that was a little bit crazy trying to get that all adjusted. But in the end, Sue and Steph did a fabulous job um, putting that together. It, technically, it was my project, um, but I was not as hands-on with that as I was with um, Turtle Talk or some of the others where I was executive, but I was also line producer for those. Your resume is just unbelievable. I'm just so lucky we had you on the show, Joe, because all of the things that you've worked on were just a part of my childhood, and I have such wonderful, fond memories of them. And, you know, I wish they were all in the park again. Some of them there still are, so I just love getting a chance to go to those attractions again and see other people's experiences. You know, just being able to watch them, you know, get so excited to talk with Crush or have one of their jokes read at Monsters. It's just amazing. And, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. This has been such a treat. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Oh, well, you know, love love to love to chat. And, and like you, I love to go to the park and watch guests enjoy stuff that I worked on, right? And fortunately, I've still got some stuff that's that's active. You know, I, I teach now uh, at USC, and I took a class. We take the class walking through Disneyland. And, uh, yeah, and, and they, they asked to go sit through Turtle Talk uh, just a couple weeks ago when we went through. So it was fun watching uh, my students see the work and be able to talk about, you know, in detail what we did and why we did it, that kind of stuff. It's It, it, still, it, it still brings me joy. So it's, it's great, and I'm glad that people still bring them joy, too, because in the end, that's why we do it all, right? And, and before we end, I have three Disney-themed questions I ask each of my guests. I call them the Fab Three. Okay. So we'll start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see in the movie theater? Oh, Pinocchio was always my favorite. And our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? It would either be Jack Sparrow or, or Gyro Gearloose. And finally, our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Oh, hi-ho, hi-ho. Um, but yeah, hi-ho, hi-ho. I used to sing that at work quite regularly. <laughs> We'd go trudging off to do something, so probably that. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Joe. This has, again, been so much fun. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it, too. 